How is everybody? Come on, like, everybody doing okay, for real, right, right? There's worse places you could be, <laughs> I promise. Um, hey, if it's your first time here, or if you've only been coming for the last couple of weeks, uh, we still have not kind of gotten back to what we do on a pretty regular basis here, which is going through whole books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line. We will get back to that this coming weekend, and we'll be in uh, Acts chapter 14, right? So we're right in the middle of the book of Acts. Uh, last week, we did a vision service, which I, I'm, if you were here for that, I'm really glad you were. It's a good way to kind of see a lot about what our church does and what we hope to do in the future and, and just kind of where we came from a little bit. And that's good. And at the very end of that last week, we kind of briefly hit on some fundamentals. You know, things like praying, serving, giving, uh, reading the Bible, simple, simple things. And I've been kind of on this kick for a while. And I wanted to take this week because we start a fast tomorrow. And I hope, um, I think we've sold, I can't remember how many, I think we got 1,500 or 2,000 fast guides. And I think we're almost out, right? Which is great. A lot of people who are deciding to do this fast with us this year, and it's fantastic. But we're about to start a fast. And um, I thought it'd be a good opportunity for me to hit some basics. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to talk briefly about prayer, about fasting, and about communion. Now, these are things we hear a lot in church, but we don't always know what they are or how to do it efficiently and effectively. So we're just going to briefly go over these things, right? Very, very simple stuff today, but hopefully it'll lead us into starting this fast, and then starting next weekend, we'll get, we'll get back into the Word uh, pretty heavy, okay? So you should have a notes handout in front of you has virtually everything I'm going to say in it. Not everything, because I couldn't cram it all in there. Um, but you have a notes handout in front of you. Uh, if you have your smartphone, the YouVersion app, Y-O-U version app, all of our notes and all the scripture is on there. I'm going to sporadically throw some scripture at you today, which is not my norm, but it's just to kind of support some things that I'm going to say uh, throughout this lesson. And, uh, and then we should be good to go. Cool? Anyone watch the Patriots and Titans last night? I'm a Patriots fan. I don't know if anyone knows that. I, I say that once a year and I get booed for it typically. But uh, anyways, let's pray, okay? <laughs> so, Lord, yeah, you can pray for me. It's fine. I need it. I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling haughty right now. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you, Lord. You're so good to us, God. Thank you so much for this church, Lord. God, uh, a very simple lesson today about prayer and fasting and communion, but Lord, I pray, God, that we can get back to the fundamentals, Lord, um, that we can have a firm foundation, talk about the basics, God, and, and grow in a healthy manner in our relationship with you. Father, we pray for every church in our community. We pray for all the great nonprofits that we work with, God, specifically this month in Slavery, Tennessee, God, that you bless their endeavors and this just very, very important work that they do, God. Lord, we pray that you bless everyone in this room. Open up our eyes, open up our ears, help us to absorb and to learn, God, and help us to grow closer to you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in church, we talk a lot about prayer, right? Bump into people, hey, will you pray for me? Yeah, can you pray for this? When we get into a tight spot or we're hurting financially or something bad has happened, we pray and we talk about prayer, right? A lot of times, though, we talk about prayer, this is going to sound a little snarky, more than we often pray, okay? And so when it comes to prayer, a lot of us don't even have a good grasp of what prayer is. 
In the most simplest terms, though, prayer is simply this. It is Christians communicating and talking to God. It's not meditation, and it's not quiet reflection. Those are meditation and quiet reflection. Prayer is different. Prayer is a deliberate conversation talking to God. It's our souls expressing their emotions and their feelings and their desires to the creator of our soul. It is this talking, this conversation between us and God. Now, prayer is not always formulaic. It comes in many different forms. It can be public, private. It can be audible. It can be in silence. It can be formal. It can be informal. It can come in a lot of different ways, but there are some key components of prayer that have to be involved every time we pray, okay? And a couple of those are, we need to pray in faith. It does no good to ask for things from God if we don't believe that he can do those things. So we have to have faith that God can do everything that we want him to do or need him to do in our lives. We need to pray in the name of Jesus. That is the only name that has the power to save, just like Constance was talking about and that song talked about. The name of Jesus is extremely important and we pray in that name. We also pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it is the Holy Spirit that leads us, guides us, and is the source of our strength. And the Bible says that prayers that are performed by righteous people avail much. Now, that doesn't mean that if we're crying out for God to help us in times of need or if we've fallen short or if we've done something bad that God doesn't hear us, but when we have a strong relationship with God, our prayers are more effective. That's why, we, that's why the Bible talks about having the elders of the church pray for you and having more uh, wise people than yourself and people who've been Christians sometimes longer than you and have a mature faith pray for you because the prayers of a righteous man and woman avail much. They're very, very effective, okay? Now, let me tell you what prayer is not. Prayer is not a petition to Santa Claus for all the things you want, right? That's not what prayer is. And what we've often made prayer is kind of like this honey-do list, right? What that means is, let's say in your marriage, and, and you can try this if you want to experiment with it and see how it goes. L don't, right? Let's say in your marriage, the only time you talk to your spouse is maybe every couple of weeks, every couple of months, you show up and you say, hey, I need you to do the, the laundry, clean the house. I need some money. I need these things fixed. I need a better job. And can I get those right now? And then you split and you don't talk to your spouse again. We laugh at that, but that's often how we treat God. We come up with this list. We say, hey, Lord, I need all these things. And, you know, get back to me as soon as you can, okay? And that's not what prayer is. There is nothing wrong with bring, bringing our needs and desires to God. Nothing wrong with that. And as a good father, husband, and friend, God wants to help us, but the point of prayer is not just getting what we want, and not all the time even getting what we think we need, but the object of prayer is to build a relationship with our creator, and as the Bible says, the lover of our souls. That is the point of prayer. So why do we do this? Well, one, if you call yourself a Christian, we should want to do this, right? We should want to have a conversation with our Savior. We should approach Him with humility, and we should approach Him with a desire. And when, you, when we approach God with a humility and with a desire, we can build a strong relationship with our Father, with, with our Creator. And I think sometimes we forget, even as Christians, listen, we have the opportunity to speak to the Creator of the universe. We can have a personal relationship with God not just the creator of everything, but the savior of everything and everyone. 
We have the opportunity to talk and be able to listen to and have conversations with the God that came to earth and died for our sins. This should be a very sobering, humble thing, right? We get to talk to God. Let that sit in for a second. Another reason why we pray is we are utterly dependent on God. Prayer grows our intimacy with God. And when we are close to God, we are better equipped to navigate this life. If you have not experienced the craziness of life yet, give it time you will, right? Even Jesus said, there's gonna be suffering in this life. I promise you, there is going to be suffering in this life. There's gonna be confusion, there's gonna be craziness. And in order for us to navigate this life and live the best life possible, we have to be connected with God. And when we're connected with God, it says in the Bible multiple times that if we pray for the gift of wisdom, that God gives it and he gives it in abundance. That we have the wisdom to make good choices in life, the discernment to know right from wrong, the knowledge to make the best decisions in our life. God gives us those things through prayer. Also, our proximity to God makes us more like God. What that means is, the closer we are to him, the more of the characteristics of God that we take on. So if we hang out with the Prince of Peace, we become more peaceful people. If we hang around God, we become more joyous people, more loving people, more gracious, more kind, more gentle, we have more self-control. You Bible scholars in here know that a lot of these are the fruit of the Spirit, right? that we become more empathetic towards people. So the closer we are to the Lord in prayer, the more we start acting like Jesus, okay? We need that. So how do we do it, right? A lot of people do have a desire to pray, but sometimes they don't know how to. And one of the frequent questions I asked is, Corey, how often should we pray? Now, the Bible's not extremely clear on that, except for it says in 1 Thessalonians that you're to pray all the time. Now, you're sitting here thinking, I don't do that. How do I do that, right? You know, if I'm a car mechanic and I have to talk to my boss and I'm working on a car, how am I praying simultaneously through all this? How do, how do I do this, right? What that scripture means is this. We are to have a prayer life. Prayer is to be a part of our routine, a part of how we do life. Now, let me use it again in the context of marriage or relationships. My wife and I have intentional times that we get together and hang out. I mean, we put it on our calendar, right? Like last Thursday, we made an appointment, we got together, we went to Oriental Express and had Pad Thai, right? Like that was on our calendar. We're gonna get together, go eat lunch, hang out. It's intentional. Also throughout the week, my wife and I periodically call each other or text each other, right? And so she'll call and be like, how's work? And I'm like, you know, it's cool. How are the kids? You know, ah, oh, they're great. You know, what are you doing today? How's, you know, how's everything? Okay, love you, bye. And we go on with our day, a couple of minutes, right? This is what God wants from us. He wants intentional date time, if you will, right? Where you set out some allotted time and talk to him. God also wants you to casually check in. He loves you. He wants to hear about your day. He wants to hear about your kids. He wants to know your frustrations and your passions. The point of all this is not to have a militant relationship with God, but a relationship. That we're not to be militant, but relational with him. That we should want to talk, that we check in, and we make it a point in our life to communicate with him more, right? Another way we efficiently pray, pray well, if you will, is I suggest that people start with the Lord's Prayer. It takes about 21 seconds to read the Lord's Prayer. There's a book that Dr. Mark Rutland wrote called 21 Seconds to Change Your Life Forever. And he's talking about the Lord's Prayer in Psalms 23. 
But if you get into the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus told his disciples to pray like this. He didn't necessarily mean that you have to repeat exactly what he said, which there's nothing wrong with that. But what he wanted to show us was a template, a good process by which we can effectively pray. Now, if you take the Lord's Prayer and you break it down into four parts, this is what I've I've been doing this for years and years and years, you can easily kind of create a system to pray and to pray well, to pray more specifically and more clear. So the way I do this, and we actually have some out on the circular table out there. You can pick some up if they're not gone already. But this is the way I do this in my life. Been doing this for about, about 12 or 13 years now. The first thing I do when I pray, and I used to write this down, but I've gotten to where I don't have to write it down anymore. The first thing I do is I thank God, right? Put him first. Lord, and I thank him for everything. God, even though I'm, I'm such a dork, you know, like, God, thank you for the solar system that I get to study. And thank you, God, when I come outside and get to see the stars, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm just amazed by that stuff. And I thank God for the beauty of nature and just the things around me, right? I thank God for my kids and for my wife. And I thank God that, I've, that I'm healthy relatively and that, 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 that God has blessed me in so many ways. Write those things down and bring those things to him first. Thank him and praise him. The second thing is ask for forgiveness of sins. Address those sins and get those things out of the way. Ask God to forgive you. And if you can't think of any, I typically don't have a problem with that. If you can't think of any, then ask God to identify things in you so you can ask for forgiveness of it. The next thing you should do is pray for other people. If you pick up one of those prayer templates, that section is huge. Fill it all out, 20 or so names, people you love, people you love but maybe don't like them very well. Pray for your government, pray for your city officials, pray for your schools, everyone except for you. Don't pray for you in that section. And then the last thing you can do is then you pray for your personal needs. If we get in the habit of this, look what it does. Puts God first, takes care of our sin, puts other people second, and then we come last. This is a good way to pray, and this is kind of what God shows us in the Lord's Prayer. I also recommend that people pray out loud. There is something special about speaking to God. And so if you're confessing your sins, it's one thing to think in your head, I've done this. It's another thing to speak it and to hear yourself say it. There's something liberating in that. Now, I don't recommend in the middle of service, like during communion, you like, you know, lift your hands up and confess your deepest, darkest sin at the top of your lungs. I don't know if that's the wisest thing to do, right? You know, whatever. But uh, it is good when we pray to pray audibly, okay? Now, what does a life look like without prayer? I think we're starting to see it in our culture right now. In a culture that claims to be 75% Christian, I don't know if we have the prayer lives that we're supposed to have. So Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, don't be anxious for anything, but in every situation. What situation should I pray? Every situation. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. That means a good attitude, right? To approach God thankful, that if we approach him with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts. I think the reason why we suffer with so much anxiety, so much fear, so much confusion and chaos in our lives is because we're not as connected with God as we should be. We need to go back and connect to God in prayer, okay? So now, you're all scholars in prayer, Let's get to fasting. I put this picture up here because it's all you guys get to eat for the next 40 days. So, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's not, it's not that bad, not that bad. So what is fasting, right? Why do we take this so seriously at this church? 
Fasting is essentially just an intentional time to be alone with God. Fasting is a time to give up certain things, mostly food, in order to focus on Jesus. It doesn't just have to be food. It can be anything that you can give up that will open up more time and more intimacy between you and God. Listen, fasting is not commanded in the Bible. We are not told to do it directly in the Bible, but it is strongly encouraged by Jesus Christ in the gospel. So therefore, I think we should kind of take a look at it. Let me tell you what fasting is not. Fasting is not a diet because you ate like heck in December. That's not what fasting is, right? When people are like, Corey, I'm going to fast carbohydrates. I'm like, well, that's a diet. And by the way, your body needs carbohydrates for your brain to function properly. So you should probably slip a couple of those in there to your meals, right? So anyways, whenever people come up and they're just like, well, I'm just going to give up, you know, bread and Arby's roast beef. That's not exactly what the point of this is. Because <laughs> I know you guys struggle with Arby's roast beef, right? <laughs> That was me confessing accidentally there. So anyways, <laughs> hmm. you put Arby's sauce on anything and it's edible, right? You could put Arby's sauce on like this fasting guide and I would probably eat that. The point of the fast is not to lose weight. There are health benefits to fasting, but that's not the point. The point is to deny self in order to grow your relationship with God. Fasting is also not a punishment it's not because we did this horrible thing last week and now I'm going to punish my body, right, and earn God's grace. You can't earn God's grace. So we don't do fasting as a form of punishment. Again, this is an intentional time to grow and to sacrifice in order to get closer to Jesus, okay? So why do we do this? We fast because it brings us back to the basics. This is a very important slide. The busyness of life can make us forget to be alone with God. We get so caught up in stuff, we get caught up in TV shows and music, and none of these things are inherently bad, but we get so wrapped up in the things of life with work, with deadlines, with school, with all these things that we neglect to work on our relationship with God. All of you who've been a Christian for any length of time can attest to this, right? The devil is subtle. It's not like he kicks the door down and, you know, has a platter of ding-dongs and makes you, like, force watches you to watch Stranger Things for three days. That's, that's not how the devil works, though many of you would fall to that, right? So, um, <laughs> the devil is subtle. We just get busy with life. And again, many of you can attest to this. And then it hits you. Man, I haven't read the Bible in a long time. Man, I haven't prayed in a long time. I have not invested in my relationship with God in a long time. And that's how he gets us. That's how the devil gets us. So we have to pause. We have to set some things aside and we have to refocus, get back to the basics. Fasting also helps us remember that we're blessed. I have people come up to me all the time. They get the fasting guide and they say, Corey, you're asking us to eat one meal a day for 10 days straight. No one can do that. Well, there's children in some parts of the country. There's children in your own uh, city that go days without eating. And there's something to be said when we deny food for a while, because guys, let's be honest, we can be a very gluttonous culture. But when we deny food for a little bit and we start to feel those hunger pains, it reminds us that there are people all around the world who won't get to eat for days, days at a time. We can easily become decadent. We can easily become gluttonous. We can easily become inappreciative in our culture. And as Christians, we need to step back every once in a while identify this and say, I've got to do something about it. 
I'm going to take some steps to not fall in to this kind of behavior, all right? And fasting helps us do that, reminds us that we are blessed. Fasting also is a good idea because Jesus said some things only happen when you combine prayer and fasting. And so Jesus had just delivered a demonically possessed boy, and he just gets done teaching the disciples that if they have enough faith, they can move mountains. But he says right after that, some things only happen when you pray and when you fast. Now, do you have to do it to be saved? No, that's not the point. But Jesus is saying, if you really want to be a mountain mover, if you really want to see and feel the deep things of a relationship with God, fasting is a good way to grow that relationship and to grow that intimacy with God, okay? So how do we do it? It's pretty easy. One, guys, these books, if there's any left, they're a buck. Pick one of these up. It gives uh, devotion every single day. It gives you an idea of how to do the 40-day fast. Um, This is what I do. I do no secular media the entire fast. I have exceptions. If you've never heard Bob Dylan's Last Train Coming, a whole album on Jesus. He got saved in 1979. One of the most biblically sound recordings ever. It's absolutely amazing. Anyways, no secular media for the whole 40 days. 10 days of no meats and sweets. 10 days of just one meal a day, that's not skipping a meal, that's eating one time the whole day. 10 more days of no meats and sweets, and then 10 more days back to one meal. And then it gives you a whole bunch of options in here of different things you can do. Now, here's what you need to do. I know some people are diabetic. I know some people are hypoglycemic. I know know different things like that and different health issues. But all of us in this room can find something that we can give up in order to draw closer to God. All of us can find something. The food part's not hard for me. It's the media part that's hard for me. Turning off the radio and and things like that, that's hard for me. The second thing is we don't brag about fasting. Jesus talked about this, right? In his time, people would fast and they'd walk around town and they're like, oh, I'm so hungry because I'm so holy, you know, and (laughs) don't do that at work. They will not like you if you do that at work. In fact, the Bible says when you're fasting, try extra hard to look your best, right? Go to work, be energized, don't let everyone know what you're doing, right? And just go on living your life. Don't brag about it. The next thing is, the last thing, is if you choose to fast, guys, let's just say, I'm not picking on Netflix or Stranger Things, but let's say you give up Netflix for 40 days. You'll be absolutely shocked at how much free time you have. Now, when you get that free time during the fast, don't allocate that over to like, I'm gonna pick up gaming, you know? Like, don't do that. That's counterproductive. Use that extra time to read the Bible. Use that extra time to read the Chronicles of Narnia. I do that every year during the fast. I read all seven of them. Like, like use that time to, to do something productive and to do something that draws you closer to God. Pray, read, study, right? Listen to some podcasts that are good or watch some sermons online. Do, do something like that in that extra free time, okay? Now, the last thing before I let you go is communion. We do this at every single service, and we've been doing it for, it'll be next month, nine years straight that we've never missed a service doing communion. And we even do it at all of our worship nights. It's a big deal at this church. Now, what is communion? Communion took the place of a thing called the Passover feast. It took place during the Passover feast, and it took the place of the Passover feast. Jesus sat down with his 12 disciples, and he broke bread with them. They drank wine together. They ate this dinner and he was, he was basically showing that his sacrifice that he was going to make on the cross was going to take the place of the sacrifice of the past that helped deliver the children of Israel 
out of Egypt. That's what the Passover festival celebrated, okay? So this is how the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or what we call communion started. There's a couple of different views on communion. Any of you who are raised in the Catholic Church or if you have family that was Catholic, they believe in what's called transubstantiation. What that means is when they take communion, if you remember in Catholic Mass, you have to be a confirmed Catholic to take the communion. You go up, the priest gives it to you, you all drink out of the same chalice. I'm always like, God, you're not going to give people germs because we're doing a good thing here, right? So um, they would all drink out of the same chalice. But what they believe in the Catholic Church, the Catholic view of communion, is that the body and blood of Jesus, the, the elements, the bread and the wine, literally become Jesus when you consume them. They literally become the body and blood of Jesus. And this happens in the mass when the priest says, this is my body and this is my blood, that there is this very spiritual thing that takes place and it literally becomes Jesus's body and blood, okay? The Lutheran view, or some people call it the Anglican view, is called consubstantiation. So Martin Luther rejected a whole lot of things in the Catholic church, but one of them was communion. He said that it doesn't literally become the body and blood of Jesus, but there is something that takes place supernaturally when one consumes uh, uh, the communion. So he believed the way he would kind of say it was, just like a sponge holds water, the sponge is not the water, but it holds the water. The elements, the bread and the juice, are not Jesus, but his spirit is in this transaction. That's consubstantiation, right? That's what they believe, the Lutherans, the Anglicans. Now, most of you, if you were raised in Baptist or Church of Christ or Pentecostal or most non-denominational churches, we have what's called the Protestant view, the symbolic view. And all this view basically says is that the physical elements, the bread and the juice, are symbolic. They're a tangible reminder of the cross, of the death of Christ, and even the resurrection. So you have the bread that represents Jesus's broken body. You have the juice that represents the blood that was poured out for our sins. And when we take this, it's just a reminder for us to remember the cross and to remember what Jesus did for us, okay? So how do we take communion? If you've been to this church for any length of time, it's very casual here, right? And so we have communion stations set all around the room where you can come up, you can get it yourself, sit in your seat, get with your family, get in a corner and pray with some friends, however you wanna do it. It's a very personal thing in here. And sometimes people will raise their hand in next class and they say, why do you do it wrong? And I'm like, well, there's no really right way written out in the scripture. If we were to do it exactly like the scriptures, we would have a two or three hour dinner together and we'd all drink four glasses of wine. That's what they would do. I, we can't afford to do that for you guys, by the way. Don't get, don't get excited there, right? And so no church does it the way Jesus and the disciples did. Most of the traditions that people have become comfortable with in church on how to take communion is just that. It's a, it's a human tradition. And that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that human tradition. There are some parts of the Bible that give us wiggle room. There are some parts of the Bible that give us the, the freedom to do it in a way that we want to do it. Now, there are still some things that are extremely important about how we take communion, but it's more of a heart issue than a method issue. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do not take communion in an unworthy way. Because if you do, it is a sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So Paul says, before you take communion, examine yourself. Now, what does that mean? This means that we approach communion with repentance. We ask God to forgive us of our sins. 
we approach communion with humility. We approach communion with self-reflection. If we're in a dry season and we're just not feeling God, you probably don't need to take communion. Doesn't mean you're going to hell. Doesn't mean that all is lost. But there may need need to be some conversations between you and God before it's the appropriate time to take communion. And that's okay. We also need to approach communion with dependency. Communion is a reminder that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And so we approach that with a dependency and a hope in Him. So why do we even bother, guys? We spend literally thousands of dollars a year with these cups and the juice and the, and the stuff to bring it out and hundreds of hours of years prepare, a year preparing this stuff and all the work going into this. Why do we go through all that? One, communion is a part of us affirming our faith in Jesus. When we choose to take the bread and the juice, we're professing that only Christ through his body and blood can save us. And we are admitting that it was our sins that put Jesus on the cross. It should be a very humbling experience. We're also taking communion to remember the cross. The broken bread symbolizes the torture that Jesus went through. The juice symbolizes the blood that was poured out. Listen, guys, and, I, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Please don't take it like that. But I think a lot of us, and this is our, our biggest service, the 11 o'clock service. There's probably a thousand people in this room right now. I know the parking lot is nuts. I know you got to get to Chewy's and watch whatever's on TV. Or I, I know there's other things to do, guys. But listen, and this is where I'm going to sound a little snarky. It doesn't hurt you to give an extra 10 or 15 minutes to sit and meditate and ponder on the fact that God came to earth and died for our sins. We can sit still for a minute. I know the Baptists may get to the restaurants quicker. We'll be okay, right? (laughs) Call Pastor Brady and tell him that, like, our aim is to get to the restaurants before your guys. No, but seriously, Seriously, this is a very, very important thing. This should be a sobering experience, a quiet, a reverent experience. This is a very, very important thing. We remember when we take communion the benefits of Christ's death. Because of the cross, we are recipients of grace and freedom and hope, and we have liberation from the bondage of sin. Listen, this is a big one for me. Communion is a time for you guys to get some spiritual nourishment. What I mean by that is, listen, tomorrow morning, you go back into the crazy world. You're not going to be around a thousand of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are like-minded and on your team. You're going to go back out, out to craziness and face a lot of hard issues. Before you leave this room today, guys, get communion. Sit down for just five or ten minutes and just reflect and meditate and pray and ask God to help you and fill you up. Rest a little bit. Abide is what the King James Version says. Abide in him so we can recharge and go back out into that crazy world and be a positive impact on it, right? But you have to reset. You have to recharge. Communion also reminds us that God is personal. He's not somewhere distant away from us. I know we can't see him, but he's near us. He's in us with his Holy Spirit. And communion reminds us that we serve a God that wanted to recline with his disciples, chill out with his disciples. He is close and he is personal. And then the last thing, communion reminds us of the communion to come. 
Communion now with our brothers and sisters here reminds us that one day we will exchange this crazy, painful existence for a perfect existence. That one day we will sit at the biggest banquet table you can imagine with all of our brothers and sisters and the great host, Jesus Christ, is gonna eat with us and laugh with us and commune with us. That's what it, that's what, that's what it reminds us of, that it's gonna get better. It's gonna get better. Okay, so here's how we close. This is basic stuff, right? Stuff that a lot of it you probably already knew. But here's the thing. If we will intentionally do these things, if we will do these things on purpose, if we will make it a priority, I give you my word, you'll have more clarity and wisdom and guidance and peace in 2018 than you've ever had in your entire life. If you will do these things on purpose. When it comes to prayer, Prayer is the main mechanism that draws us close to God. And when we are close to God, when we are close to Christ, he gives us guidance. He gives us peace. He gives us a greater understanding of what he wants. And when we live in his will, we are more content. We're better people. So I suggest that you make some time. When I say make time, put it in your calendar. I do it 7.30 every morning. That's my prayer time. I get to church at 7.30, pray and read my Bible for about a half hour, and then I start my day. It's not even inconvenient. It's a great way to start the day. Find your time and stick with it. Make time. Be specific. Talk to him. Take a couple of minutes and listen to him. Sometimes we're so busy talking that we don't hear God because we won't be quiet, right? So sometimes we need to be quiet and just listen to God. Casually check in with God. Man, if you have a stressful job, which I'm sure most of you do, if you're going into a business meeting or you're teaching in a classroom setting or whatever the case may be, if you're feeling anxious or if you're struggling or if you know it's going to be a tough conversation, man, dip out for three or four minutes and say, God, give me the wisdom. Give me the words. Help me. And he will. And at the end of every prayer, this is so important, even if you Tell God the desires of your heart and tell him everything you need. Finalize your prayers with, let your will be done. You've heard my heart, God, but Lord, let your will be done here as it is there. I want your will to be done. If we will intentionally fast, we can minimize distractions in our life and we can focus more intently on God. You will see more spiritual growth if you choose to fast than almost anything else you will do. I give you my word. If you do this 40-day guide and if you stick with it, if you read the devotionals, if you sacrifice and if you use that extra time to, to, to commune with God, you will see things happen in your life that are amazing. You'll see astounding things happen in your life. God will absolutely transform you. Fasting is good because it is so easy for all of us in this room to become complacent and appreciative and selfish. So every once in a while, we have to hit the pause button. Every once in a while, we have to just step back from all the insanity and say, I'm just going to separate myself from this for a while, and I'm going to focus on God. It will do all of us good to do that. And then with communion, which you'll have the opportunity in just a second to take. And guys, the lines will be long because there's a lot of you in this room. The parking lot will be crazy. I know all that. But listen, I just want to encourage you. Take a couple of minutes today. Communion is a time to help us remember the fact that Jesus sacrificed everything for us on the cross. He has promises for us in the future, and he wants to fill you up with his Holy Spirit now, nourish you now. It's an opportunity to reflect. 
It's an opportunity to be humbled. It's a tangible reminder that God is personal. And we must approach communion with repentance, asking God to forgive us of our sins. And we must approach it with respect and reverence. And if you choose not to do it, please respect and revere the people around you who are doing it. Big deal. Listen, these are the basics. Basics, basics, basics. But here's the thing, you can ask any home builder, any architect, if we don't have a firm foundation, we cannot grow bigger, we cannot grow up, we cannot do it. And what has happened with a lot of us in this room is we didn't get the basics down and we kept trying to grow and we kept trying to expand. And if we're not careful, all of that can crumble upon us. We've gotta get back to the basics. Prayer, fasting, communion. These are only three, there's more, but these three basics will absolutely change your life if you will commit to doing them, okay? Would you guys bow your heads with me, please? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, in a couple of minutes, there'll be some people up here at the front to pray with you, men and women. If you need prayer for anything, please, let these men and women pray for you, please. There'll be communion all the way around you at the tables, all the tables around you. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you approach it with respect and as long as you approach it with a repentant heart. If you're in this room and you are not a Christian, I hope that today showed you a little bit about the Christian life. I hope it maybe answered some questions for you. I hope that it intrigued you a little bit to where you'll come back and you'll get into the Word with us next week in Acts chapter 14. And listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, and I, for the first time in a long time, I feel so optimistic. I want to tell some of you in this room, I give you my word. I'll give you my oath. If you will commit to praying, fasting, and taking communion time seriously, if you will commit to doing that, I give you my word. God will change your life. I give you my word. God will change your life. He will do amazing things in you, through you, to the people around you. I give you my word. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you, Lord. I pray blessings over everyone in this room, God. I pray that we get back to the fundamentals. I pray that we build a firm foundation on the strong rock that is your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we have prayer lives. I pray that we fast, God. I pray, Lord, that we take our time with you in communion seriously, Lord, and remember what you've done for us on the cross. Bless everyone who comes up for prayer. Bless everyone who gets communion. Help us to go back out into our world, God, and to make a positive impact. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.